You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This week on the Happy Half Hour. When you have things that you can build upon that are good, it's not just, oh my goodness, you know, execution was really poor and, you know, we know we can put it together in practice, but you put it together at least enough in a game to make it that kind of thriller sort of thing. I think that's what they're focusing on. And when you lose a game like that, you have places to grow too. Your glows and your grows, that's what I always call them. Touchdown, Carolina! It's time for the Happy Half Hour with your friends, Kristen Balboni, Augusta Stone, and Darren Gant. That's right. It's that time of the week. It's the Happy Half Hour podcast with your friends, Darren, Augusta, and Kristen. Uh, As we sit here today, it is Wednesday morning, and have we recovered from the game in Atlanta? I I don't even... It was such a roller coaster. (laughs) It it, it contained multitudes. It did. That that game had a lot going on, as often happens in Atlanta. And I've talked about in the mailbag... You know, there's a pretty deep catalog of all the weird stuff that happens, whether it's the Georgia Dome or Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and the Panthers have been on the wrong side of a lot of it over the years. Uh, it's hard to imagine that they're 8-20 and 20 in Atlanta all the time, but so much weird stuff keeps happening. But that game was amazing and thrilling and heart-stopping and heartbreaking all at once, but there was so much stuff going on. I mean, it was just... It's one of those things as a writer, it's like, all right, what do I leave out? Because I'm going to have to leave out a lot. Yep, that's what I appreciated so much about what Darren posted the next morning because it was, you know, you focus on the end and like the result and what happened. And that's kind of where we went with the content was talking about the DJ Moore catch and the penalty and then also about Eddie. But um, then the next morning it was like, oh, here's five other things. And they're yeah. all like things, like you said in the story, where it was like, these are things that would have been we the for- main story. We forget Deontay <laughs> Foreman had three touchdowns yes. in that game for the first time, I believe, and Anish, uh, my broadcast partner, said this on the on the broadcast, first time a Panthers running back has done that since Jonathan Stewart in 2017. Yes. Crazy. Well, it, it's kind of like down here in the 1500th word of whatever we've written. <laughs> oh, also, Deontay Foreman turned into Earl Campbell today. Yeah. <laughs> Dante yep. Jackson had an early interception. Yep. C.J. Henderson had an interception. I mean, just there were uh, two sacks in the first, uh, what, Six minutes of play yeah. in the game. I mean, there's so, so many things happen. And, uh, and kind of like Deontay, oh, by the way, also, P.J. Walker might turn out to be okay at football. Yeah. P.J.'s on a roll. Oh, Patrick and Mahomes liked that 62-yarder. <laughs> that was cool. It's uh, Yeah, that's pretty good. When you get name-checked by Patrick Mahomes, that's pretty good feeling, I, I imagine, for P.J. to uh, kind of wake up this morning and be like, yeah, I'm getting recognized by Patrick. That ain't so bad. So, and, and again, part of what 
made Sunday so wild is that game just had so many layers and layers and layers. I mean, P.J. is on this hot streak right now. He throws one of the most incredible balls you're ever going to see any quarterback throw, period. And I think it's worth pointing out every time you write about him, if two guys don't get hurt in training camp, he's not even on this roster. Yeah, he. I mean, now, as things developed, was there a chance P.J. was going to be on the practice squad after all that? Sure, of course, especially after Matt Corral got hurt. But P.J. was a barely considered fourth option during the entire training camp until guys started going down with injuries and without just some dumb luck for other people. He's not standing in his spot right now. And and all of a sudden, you know, it, it's so funny. I mean, P.J. just keeps falling into these weird spots in his career, and they keep working out in a weird way. I mean, he's uh, he's 3-2 and two as a starter now, but looking at what he's done, I mean, it wasn't just that one play on Sunday. You know, four other passes of 20 yards or more in the second half. I mean, that's kind of where P.J. was able to – he was converting like like third and seventeen. Yeah. And again, I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm just going off of my memory of being on the sideline for that game for the radio broadcast. Right. And it wasn't just DJ. I mean, it's oh, by the way, there goes Steven Sullivan down the field. There goes Terrace, Terrace Marshall. Marshall. Terrace and, Marshall. You know, there it was it was one of those games. I mean, that would have been the reason so many of those guys after that game were crushed. And you know, Brian Burns always talks after games. You know, he's one of those guys who's willing to stand up, be kind of face of the franchise type when things are good, when things are bad. Burns didn't even talk after that game, and he admitted on Monday, he was like, it, it was too much. I didn't, you know, he felt responsible for it, for his own role in this deal. But um, guys just didn't know how to react because if you win that game, then you're tied for first. Uh, you're basically in first place in the division halfway through the season. You're 3-0 you're and in the division. You're 2-1 and under Steve Wilkes. You're feeling some sort of way about what's going to go the second half of the year. And then to have all the air sucked out of the building all at once was tough. It was. It was. So one question I, I want to ask you both. So – you know, I think everyone who's listens to this podcast know we we my broadcast partners and I do the radio broadcast, um, and then you know we we got done with the game. I I went up into the booth and we all kind of talked about it, right? Because you're just kind of still a little stunned about about the game. And I would say this: I think I started this podcast out saying, "Have we recovered yet?" I would say that win or lose, right? It was yeah. just because it was just a a crazy game. I mean, just there were so many different elements to it, as we said. Um, before I can get up into the broadcast booth, which maybe takes me about 10 minutes, Darren has put out the rapid reactions, which comes out uh, immediately after every game um, from the incredible staff of you two. But how did you both start to immediately, like I could find the words maybe a couple hours to kind of encapsulate what this game was, but how do you behind the scenes say, okay, we didn't know which way this game was going to go until 30 seconds ago. We've got to immediately put it into words and you know represent the team and the fan base. Well, the real literature is the thousand words that you didn't get to read. <laughs> um, that was the stuff I was really proud of. Um, yeah, you end up writing a bunch of stuff that never sees the light of day because one of the challenges of writing live news is – You've got to be ready for anything. So you've got to have – and those rapid reacts are basically 500-word recaps immediately after a game, and you've got to be prepared in a couple different directions. So there was a top 
of that based on a heroic Panthers comeback win. And there was a top based on, you've got to be kidding me. And there was so much stuff going on, you just kind of have to be a little agile on your feet every now and then and and be ready to react. And also you need to be able to type very fast. And (laughs) thankfully, uh, thanks to my high school typing teacher, I am able to type without looking at keys and Thank God for words, spell check and all those fun things. Hundred words per minute, and you know it's it's so cool because our executive producer David Langton, Darren, you you have uh, over the course of covering um, the Jim Zoki uh, over the course of covering this team for many many years have seen games like this and and mm-hmm. know what it's like to okay this is going to go either way. I have um, to a, a certain extent, but Augusta. Uh, this has got to be one of the most memorable games that you have seen. This is, you know, your first season with the Panthers. So how do you as a writer wrap your head around everything that's going on and then immediately start, you know, uh, you go into the locker room and then you start writing articles? Exactly, exactly. Well, I was excited about this question because I get to nerd out about reporting for a minute. Yes. Because I was thinking about the way I kind of view reporting in general and just everything. It's like you're capturing moments. And my function as the team reporter is to take fans where they can't be. They're not in the locker rooms, right? Mm -hmm. So I was really kind of looking for, and it was so lucky that it kind of fell into my lap or that I noticed it, but I was keeping my head on a swivel because a lot of the guys, you know, they're obviously very um, just emotional all around, you know, like they're not really wanting to answer a lot of questions, not wanting to talk right now. And that's part of the story, right? It's like, you know, they're talking in these whispers and it's like just a really rough atmosphere. But I was kind of trying to focus on these moments. And I realized when Eddie Panera was giving his uh, three minutes to the media, I saw Baker Mayfield, Derek Brown, J.D. Jansen, and Johnny Hecker all kind of make a row behind the media and just watch. That was a great, that was a great tweet. It was, it was just, it was so awesome. And then at that moment I was like, okay, this is the lead off to this postgame story I'm going to write about Eddie because this, this, I hadn't seen anything like, granted, again, I'm very young. This is like my first year, but I hadn't seen anything like that before. And so, and then immediately afterward, Baker goes and talks to Eddie. I find Johnny, I find uh, Derek, and I talked to JJ before, and I was like, just why, why did you do that? Like, what is it about, you know, wanting to show that support? What were you trying to, like, the message you were trying to convey to him? And that was super compelling, and that's one of those things I think that, you know, being a reporter, you're just, your head's on a swivel constantly. You're always looking out. Darren and I talk about this all the time, but we're always just kind of looking out for those little nuggets and those little things. And um, it's all about kind of, as, as cliche as it is, but like staying in the moment. You know, I'm not thinking about what had happened then because I can think about that when I'm writing, but I'm trying to like take in the atmosphere, take in what's going on. And then you notice things like that. And then you ask about that. And I don't know, I found that really, really compelling, um, kind of just everyone on that team kind of felt the honest on them because it's like you can say, you know, Eddie missed the two kicks, but there were situations that required that to be why the outcome was there, if that makes sense. So, and it was, it was interesting. Like, like the story you wrote about Brian Burns, you know, he saw it on him. Derek Brown saw it on him. Um, Also, you know, we talk about that incredible throw by PJ Walker, no doubt that propelled them into overtime, but he also had a pick six earlier in the game. Right. So I think it's such a great point. And we've heard Steve Wilkes say it, but you guys putting these stories out really illustrates the point that there are so many factors. that, And yeah. sometimes the, the luck, a ball bounces a certain way. I'm not saying in this game. There's just so many things that go into this. Um, and it's hard because those guys played so hard. Yeah. I was down there, feet from them for the entire game, and so did the Falcons, right? And, of course, if you're a fan, you want it for your team because – neither team uh, didn't give the full effort, you know, and, and yeah. not only playing the whole game, but 
they they go into overtime on it, right? And you just mm-hmm. feel like if you're a fan, you're like, this team deserves to win this game, right? Both teams do because of everything that happened. Um, but it didn't happen. No. It doesn't diminish the, their playing, it, though. It really doesn't. It, and I always kind of – I feel like there are preambles to a lot of the answers I'm giving, whether it's the mailbag or on this podcast. You, you feel like every now and then just – for the sake of honesty, you've got to raise your hand and begin by saying, this is nothing against anybody who's not here right now. This is nothing against anything that happened before. But the thing I can tell you for sure is I've seen the Carolina Panthers lose that game by 20 in the past. That team stood up. I mean, they got up off the mat and punched back on Sunday, and they haven't always done that. And again and again and again. And anyone who watched that game, you would see, you'd go, the game could have been over at so many different points. And the reason I say all that stuff before, I don't want to turn this into a under Steve Wilkes they did, under Matt Rule they didn't, because it's not just those guys. It's Dante Jackson. I mean, Dante's a guy, people have been giving him a hard time for getting hurt a lot, but he keeps getting back up and coming back and playing and making big plays and CJ Henderson's been on the wrong side of a lot of plays and is coming back and making more of the good ones now so I mean you see that in a lot of areas I I know people there's a reductive tendency in modern media to make it about one big obvious thing but there's a lot of layers to this thing and there were a lot of dudes who kind of represented that spirit of this is not over. This team is continuing to fight, and it's kind of interesting to watch it all unfold. And I, I do want to say about, you, you mentioned both Dante Jackson and C.J. Henderson, some things that I've seen from them on the sideline. I've covered Dante now for three years, and he dealt with, my, my first year, 2020, he dealt a lot with turf toe that year. Mm-hmm. And something that I noticed for, uh, from him from the beginning, and I told him that that year, and I think that's why you see him as a, a captain now, and you watch his progression is that he wants to be in the game so bad. He will, no matter what he's dealing with, as you said, Darren, he will he will start a game, he will try to go. No one is more upset than him when he can't be out on the field. Right. And then he also takes it upon himself to really support and mentor and cheer on the other guys out there. And that's hard. He's been doing that for mm-hmm. since I've been here. I've watched him every single game. Um, and so it's great to see him have success Um when he's able to be out there. And then C.J. Henderson, to your point, Darren, I watched him put his body on the line in the Rams game, um, a Rams game that was starting to get out of hand, and he went into the concussion protocol after that. Um, and he, he's back. He had that huge interception um, in in this game here. And you're right. There's so many individual stories. Like I said, we haven't talked mm-hmm. about Deontay Foreman. We haven't talked about Terrace Marshall. We haven't talked about DJ. I mean, there's there's a – a thousand different stories that you could tell, but what what I want to know from from both of you is this this has got to feel deflating, right? So how no how does this team? You know, of course we hear uh, we're going to flush it. We got to move on. Yeah. You know, you win, you can't take it with you. If you lose, you can't take it with you. So Augusta, how how do they? move forward after this one because the effort was there. And like you said, one thing goes differently. They would have been tied for the division lead. So what are you hearing from the guys? Exactly. I think it's kind of, it's almost like it ties into what we've been talking about, but there's so much to talk about. I think they're focusing on the fact that there were so many good things. Like Darren said, you've seen 
the Panthers lose that game by 20 when there's so much fight and there's so many good things. I want to talk specifically about C.J. Henderson just because I spoke with um, defensive backs coach Evan Cooper yesterday about C.J. And um, he called it the, the aha moment for him almost. Like, you know, especially um, I feel like a lot of – fans and a lot of people when they see CJ Henderson they think about the DPIs I mean it felt like there was a string of like three games where it was almost you could yeah it just kept happening just kept happening and uh he made a play on the ball which was something that I had talked with uh you know a lot of the players about I had talked with with Coop about and he was like he finally made the play on the ball and it was right before it was a few plays before that interception it was one of those things where um it it, it was just he kind of turned the turned a corner it's not like he's like you know a riv- arri- uh, arrived or anything but he's he's turned a corner and I think a lot of the the team feels that way Deontay Foreman you know I talked with him after the first game where he posted over 100 rushing yards and he was like oh yeah I'm finally you know like getting my opportunity and then he does the same thing again so there's there's building blocks and I think even though there was a loss and it was super deflating in that moment I I didn't feel like the vibe in the locker room Monday was rough at all I felt very optimistic and when you have things that you can build upon that are good it's not just oh my goodness you know execution was really poor and you know we know we can put it together in practice but you put it together at least enough in a game to make it that kind of thriller competitive sort of thing I think that's what they're focusing on and and now when you lose a game like that you have places to grow too so it's you have your glows and your grows that's what I always call them so (laughs) I think there's a lot there I really do it's a nice like coaching term you should tell coach Wilkes that Darren put that put that slogan on a piece of paper let's tape that on the wall uh I need more of those Darren especially the glows I like the glows what are you hearing from from Steve Wilkes from these players and and how do you if you're in that locker room how do you not lose that fire that you would have had if yeah. one thing went your way in I, that game and you win. I think one of the things, and I I don't want to say it's unique to Steve Wilkes, because I think a lot of coaches try to approach this thing, but Steve has always said, I mean, when he becomes interim head coach, I mean, it's it would have been easy to make that story about Steve Wilkes getting another chance, Steve Wilkes being a hometown kid, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Steve has resisted making this about him, and he's kept the focus very short, you know, on we're going to win today is the thing Steve always says. I, I think players pick up on the fact that Steve knows nothing is promised to him. He, he knows nothing that's happening right. I mean, there's a very real chance that nothing that happens on the field this week ultimately impacts his future job. Uh, wherever it happens to be, whether it's here or anywhere else. So, I mean, Steve's taken a very narrow focus on everything because that's the way you've got to be during an NFL season. There's so much stuff happening. I mean, you know, again, look at what's going on in Cincinnati. A year ago there in the Super Bowl, now they're kind of up against it. They're running out of dudes. Um, Key players are hurt. They struggled in front of a national audience on Monday night. Um, Stuff changes in a hurry in the NFL, and the only real way to approach this job and maintain any degree of sanity is to do today as well as you can. I mean, and I I think back to my background in newspapers, you know, we always laughed and called it the Daily Miracle. How did we put this thing out in 24 hours when we started with nothing? And that's kind of the way you've got to be with football. I mean, you can't – the Carolina Panthers cannot beat the Bengals on Wednesday – but they can certainly lose to them if they're not buttoned up in preparation for X, Y, Z. So I just think that's been Steve's thing. And it's kind of – it's easy to say and it's harder to pull off uh, to keep guys focused on Wednesday. And and I think from his standpoint, the fact that he uh, 
generally puts them in pads. Now, we haven't been out on the practice field today. Don't know if they're going to adjust plans with short week coming up in the future or anything like that. But I think the way Steve put them in pads on Wednesday to kind of get everybody's attention and keep the focus back on the immediate is is kind of his strategy to pushing through this thing. And uh, I, I think but that gave me a lot of insight between what you said, Augusta, of just seeing some individual performances really um, really turn that corner and then also – like you said, Darren, just um, going day by day. And, I, you know, I have to say, how about that offense, too? Um, like I said, I, we've touched on it a yeah. little bit with the Deontay Foreman of it all, the PJ of it all. But, um, you know, talking to our producer, David Langton, in, in the game, I think they got to 28 points. And I said, this is by, by far the most points that they've scored this season, right? So you have those um, those things that you look at. You This offense has been improving um putting up at least points wise um pj is showing off what he can do and it you know and and then you roll with that right and that's what steve wilkes said it's we're rolling with pj we've seen we've seen what this offense can do and and do you hope that just they tighten up a few more things or they hope they tighten up a few more things in time for the Bengals? and you're right you say oh yeah well we we get this done yeah and in honor of panther stats guy since will's not here to provide stat of the week he's on special assignment today it's not really a stat but i think it's a number that kind of points to that the panthers have been last in the league in offense all year long the Carolina Panthers are no longer last in the league in total offense. I mean, they're now 29th in the league. Again, not great, <laughs> Bob. But considering where they've been, considering where they were earlier this year when they just couldn't convert a third down, couldn't move the ball, couldn't put anything on the board, I mean, that's the that's the thing that's so different about what's going on right now. And, and again – is there a certain freedom that you can play with when you're on a fourth quarterback or a second coach and all this stuff is happening around you? Yeah, sure. I mean, when the stakes are down, there is a certain liberty uh, each of those individuals has. But um, at the same time, it's beginning to work. Yeah. I mean, PJ is dealing right now. Yes. And I would never imagined saying that in August. So it's just, it's kind of bizarre and it's, I laugh about it all the time. You you go see the show because you never know what you're going to get. And right now, that's the spot the Carolina Panthers are in. I did not expect to be talking about P.J. Walker and the high-flying Panthers offense right now, but they just scored 34 points. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yet here we are. Uh, and before we go, I do want to uh, touch on the, the trade deadline as well. So it has come yeah. and gone. Um Darren, what's what's the insight on the building from from that? Speaking of all those words written that never see the light of day, <laughs> I um, wasn't going to say it because yeah, I didn't. Yeah, no, we we we're prepared for a lot of stuff around here, and you have to be. But no, I, I just don't think, and they were pretty clear. I, I think Scott Fitterer has has made it clear from the start, even after Christian, you know, people wanted to apply the fire sale stuff to Christian McCaffrey, and that's kind of a different deal. I mean. Christian was at a different stage of career, and he was basically a premium contract at a non-premium position. And what they wanted to keep were the guys at premium positions, you know, the pass rusher like Brian Burns, the receiver like D.J. Moore, the corner, the tackle. Um, And they didn't want to trade those guys. So I think they sat around yesterday afternoon waiting for the phone to ring. Uh, The phone never rang with the offers um, that they considered – 
sufficient. I mean, there were reports out there that the Rams offered two number ones. Well, the Rams didn't have one next year. So was it worth it to trade Brian Burns for a first-round pick in 24 and 25? Clearly not. Obviously it's not because, much like us, Brian's still here in the building. Um, So I just think it was a lot of waiting around to see if anybody was going to overwhelm them with offers. Nobody ever did. And they kind of like the piece they've got in place. I mean, one of the things I'm working on right now that we'll have up on Panthers.com at a certain point this week is there's the tease is they like what they've got coming yeah. back. And if you look at what's coming back, most of a starting lineup. Now, granted, it's a starting lineup of a two and six team where there's no bones about that. They're going to be in the quarterback market. Everybody knows that. But when you start looking at the idea of going into next year with a secondary in place, with an offensive line Mm -hmm. almost completely in place, with Brian Burns, a premier pass rusher in place, with D.J. Moore, one of the top receivers, Derek Brown, who's playing his tail I love it. Augusta just gave a couple snaps into the microphone. He does deserve his snaps. Is that glow or grow? That's definitely glows. That's glows. That's a glow from a a glow. (laughs) Yes. But there's a lot of stuff going on that they like having, and now they've got more draft picks. They don't have all that many free agents to re-sign. Really, only two starters. When you look at when you look at it, I mean, Bradley Bozeman and Matt Ioannidis are the two guys who are quote unquote starters right now who aren't under contract for next year, other than the quarterbacks. So they don't have all that much stuff to do this offseason. So it gives you an opportunity to add to what they feel like is a pretty decent young base. And I have to say, Darren, it's kind of like what you just said. I, I did not. Eat- didn't I think at this point you'd be saying uh, P.J. Walker in this high-flying offense. <laughs> Despite the the record, the 2-6 and six record, I think it's fair to say that, you know, before starting this job, I, I came to this as a Panthers fan. So I feel like if you're a Panthers fan, I, you know, it's not common to say, well, at 2-6, and six, I think you've got to feel pretty good about where things are right now despite the record. This, this yeah. team did, did not, uh, I think fans were worried about a, the fire sale, like you said. That did not happen it feels like uh, there's some really uh, solid, solid pieces in, in a lot of different spots on this team, and and they're not out of it. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I, it's a completely different vibe. If you go back to the 49ers game here, what was that? Less than a month ago, to think that after that you were then going to see PJ Walker and the Carolina Panthers give Tom Brady a good thrashing. And then go out and lose a shootout in overtime in Atlanta. I mean, it just none of those things make sense. But yeah, they are playing. They are playing a different brand of football right now. There's no doubt about that. Well, this was a, a blast. So glad we got to do it a day early. Thanks everyone for listening to the Happy Half Hour podcast, and we'll see you next week. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 